quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Constant communication. And this is a big area that's lacking with a lot of other groups is they don't communicate very well or very often. So not only will it help your current investors get updates on the property and want to invest with you again on the next project, but you're also being front of mind and relevant more often. Welcome to the Best Ever Show, the world's longest running daily commercial real estate podcast. Our hosts interview commercial real estate experts every day to get you the best advice ever with none of the fluffy stuff. Hello, best ever listeners. Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Ash Patel and I'm with today's guest, Chad Sheeler. Chad is joining us from Fishers, Indiana. He is the founder and principal of Focused Capital, which acquires multifamily value-add real estate assets. Chad is a returning guest on this podcast. If you Google Joe Fairless and Chad Sheeler, his episode will pop up. Chad's portfolio consists of hundreds of units that he's either acquired or developed, and he's also been an LP on a number of deals. Chad, thank you for joining us again, and how are you? Thanks, Ash. Doing great. Good to see you again. Appreciate it. It's a pleasure to have you back. And Chad, where are you right now? I see palm trees. I am in Hawaii. It's not a fake background behind me. So yeah, I'm here right now. It's nice and warm, about 80 right, so, and sunny. Yeah. You're not in Fishers, Indiana. Chad, again, thank you for coming back. And today I want to focus on scaling and mindset. You've built out a team. I'm assuming you started out as a one-person shop back in the day. And how long ago was that? Yeah, over three years ago, I was a one-man band trying to figure it out, trying to acquire a couple properties. We had a couple of deals with some other joint venture partners, but yeah, that's how it started. All right. And you are in Hawaii for an extended period of time. How long are you down there for? We're here for three months, my wife and daughter and I. I think a lot of our listeners, especially this winter that we're having, would love to trade places with you. So let's dive into how can somebody achieve this level of success some struggles that you've had to overcome to have a lifestyle where you can move your family to a nice location for several months. When you started out as a one-person shop, what was your mindset struggles at the time and how did you overcome them? My initial mindset was that I couldn't find any deals. There was no deals out there. I wasn't going to be able to manage the property myself. Really, I saw this huge mountain that I had to climb, trying to figure out all the components of real estate investing and how to do it all. In the very beginning, it was a lot of mistakes made, but it took a long time to get started. Actually, I spent about three years actually researching, analyzing. My personality is very analytical to a fault. And I spent three years finding the first property. It was a long time. Three years. Talk about analysis paralysis. Was that what it was? <laughs> Not so much. Back then, I feel like I had to know everything about a industry to get started. And I've learned now that's not the case. You have to know maybe 80% and just go with your gut. There's huge clarity over certainty. But a lot of that time was spent looking for properties, seven looking for single family homes, for duplexes. I couldn't find the ones that would need the 2% rule, which we know now those are a no-brainer. It's 2% rule, but ended up finding the four unit after a few years. You found a four unit and I'm assuming you self-managed that property. You had your sites set on bigger, faster did you struggle at all with growing too quickly? I didn't grow too quickly at first. I bought the four unit 
And then I almost gave up actually five months later. I was trying to find another one similar size and I almost gave up actually. I had actually put the pencil down and a friend of mine came to me. We formed a relationship and he was able to out to source a 15 unit deal, which is my second acquisition. So it didn't grow very fast at first. It took a while to get going. All right. So you're not very good at finding deals. <laughs> I wasn't then. No. <laughs> you have, and you brought somebody in to fill that gap. What are your thoughts on people starting out taking on partners? I think that partnerships are the way to do real estate quite a bit. It's a team sport. really do. I think that you've got to hone in on what your power is, what your strength is, and play to that. And then find a partner or build a team and employee to fill in the gaps. Because I don't have all the skill sets for real estate. I'm assembling a team of the people that have what I'm missing. And another point there, I think that with the partnerships, I've had a couple of those. I mean, it's really crucial to find partners that obviously have complementary skill sets as you, but have the same drive and have the same long-term goals as you too. I too have had many partners in different businesses over the years. And I saw a little bit of hesitancy when you said that. I'm assuming you learned some hard lessons about partners. I did. I could share those if you'd like. Yeah, I think it's important, right? It's such a great thing when you go from being a one-person shop to now you have a partner. It's almost like dating, man. You're enamored because not everything rests on you. And you have a sounding board. You have somebody that has similar visions and goals. And life is good. You theoretically should only be doing half the work that you were doing before. Why would life not be good? What can go wrong? What can go wrong, right? <laughs> Yeah. So if you could share some of those lessons, I think that'd be important. So I remember one asset I had a partner on, we had divided up some responsibilities. I was taking care of the underwriting and the closing process and then asset managing after the fact. And he was taking care of some of the construction work and taking care of due diligence and maybe review the inspection report. And he's a great guy. Still love him today. Great friend of mine. One part that we as a team fell short on is that the special report wasn't reviewed carefully. And as a result, we didn't catch the property had a lot of deferred maintenance. We didn't catch extra repairs need to be done. And then that resulted in a six figures extra on CapEx expense costs, which affected the property. Yeah. You know, with partners, the lessons that I learned the hard way, I mean, this was probably 20 years ago in a business that I built. I built it and I was so needing a partner that I gave away 50% of this company. And that was actually part of the downfall of it. It's you cannot give away equity. It has to be earned over time is even better. So people have to prove themselves and you don't immediately need to give somebody equity. It can be on a deal by deal basis. If this is something that you built and you're bringing somebody in on now with startups, by all means, sometimes you have to partner up with people from the get-go, but have multiple exit plans and do things on a deal-by-deal -deal basis or company-by-company -company basis. So yeah, partners, that's a tough one, man. Yeah, I'd say one more thing that I learned a lot was on the capital raise front. That wasn't ever a focus of mine initially. I didn't focus on myself. I didn't think it was my strength. It's my limiting belief. But on one asset, I brought on two partners to help with capital raise, and we fell short before closing. I had to make a personal loan 
to get across closing the finish line. But I've learned there that if you bring on people for capital raise, it's probably a good idea to do some digging with them to kind of see their previous track record with raising capital and make sure they can execute before you rely on other people to to fulfill that duty. Chad, now let's go to your first hire. Was that a struggle or was that just, I have to do this? It was a struggle because it was a big leap of faith to trust that I was making the right decision going from one to two. Again, my over-analytical self was always telling myself, well, it might be the wrong one or if it's not the right one. But I knew in my mind that one plus one is not two in a business. One plus one is three or four. And like you mentioned earlier, it's not just cut and dry to where, oh, I'll have half the amount of work now. There's still work involved. But if you find the right person that has the drive and has the complementary skills that you're missing, it can be form a really good team. So it was hard at first, but it's going really, really well now. As real estate entrepreneurs, people think it's a rite of passage or some kind of attribute that you're working 16, 18 hours a day. And these are people that are desperately the ones that need to hire somebody, but they can't seem to get out of their own way. I was one of those people for many years, should have hired people way before I did. What's your advice to those folks that they're stressed out, they're inundated, they're doing it all. And you were there. So what's your advice maybe to your past self and to those of us who are struggling with hiring your first hire? A couple of thoughts come to mind, Osh. Like in the book, Good to Great with Jim Collins, he says, the rate at which company will grow is the quality of people you'll attract and the great people you'll retain, right? So you have to have people to grow a business. You can't do it yourself. I think one of the flaws that I've had in the past, a lot of entrepreneurs have, is they think that no one could do it better than me. I do it the best way and I have to do it all myself. And that's a very highly limiting belief. You've got to accept that people will do it maybe 85% the way you do it and then train them to 90%, 95% and then be done. But you've got to focus as a leader on the 20% of your tasks that bring 80% of the results and outsource all the rest. And don't feel like if you've got extra capital sitting there, don't hold on to that invest it in your company, invest in yourself, because that's how you're going to grow. Do you always have to have a goal or can you hang up your gloves at some point, especially if you're young? Can you just get to a certain point, hit that number and be done? Or does that goalpost always have to be moving? This reminds me of the book, Gap and the Gain. I think it's important to reflect on the gains you've made along the way. So you have gratitude for where you're at today. But I think a lot of people, myself included, there is that gap between where you are today and where you want to go in the future. I think it's important to have goals, but to remain grateful for where you're at right now and to recognize your accomplishments. It's a tough one. It really is. Because well, I think what happens beings, when you hit your goal? I set a new goal. I'll be honest. I really do. Do you always have to set the next goal or can you just be done? In my mind, if I'm not growing, I don't feel accomplished. There is a point now where I've been in my life to where I've reached a certain point. And I thought, okay, I'm very happy where I'm at right now. I still want to keep growing as a person. I want to grow as a leader if I can, but I'm not trying to be as aggressive as I was in the past with just exhausting myself on burning the candle at both ends. And at some point when you have enough financial freedom living in Hawaii for three months, what keeps you motivated? My wife and daughter. We have one on the way. It's my family. Location freedom, time freedom, financial freedom, relationship freedom. That's what really drives me today. Providing for them and giving them great experiences and being able to do work in different locations 
is what drives me. All right, let's back into this goal. I am new to real estate investing, or I've been doing it for a few years. And that's my goal is I want to be able to live in Hawaii for three, six months at a time. How develop a roadmap for me? How do I do that? Well, I think with real estate, it's so achievable. Real estate does not need to be something you do in the city where you live at and stay there. We've got property managers that manage the properties. I've got a team that we talk to remotely every day and on weekly calls. And real estate can be a great avenue to do that. And I think maybe it starts with the roadmap of, okay, well, if you want to live somewhere for a month out of the year or three months out of the year, develop a plan in the budget to set aside the funds to be able to do that for the cost you'll incur a year or two from now, and then work towards that goal of the funds you'll need to do that. But you could totally manage your team and assets across the country. I know people all the time, actually a guy here right now, he actually owns assets in Indiana back home. I met in my office last week. So you can do real estate across the country. We'll get back to the show with first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. A 1031 exchange is one of the greatest tools to build your real estate portfolio. But before you sell your next investment property, if you want to save thousands in capital gains taxes, please give our friends at 1031 Pros a call. Whether you're an individual investor, title company, or real estate agent, 1031 Pros is ready to help you or your clients with their 1031 exchange needs. With over 30 years of experience, 1031 Pros specializes in various types of exchanges like delayed, simultaneous, reverse, and improvement exchanges in all 50 states, all while ensuring your transaction is fast, reliable, transparent, and secure. 1031 Pros has handled over 20,000 audit-free exchanges, and right now, best ever listeners can get $250 off any exchange by visiting my1031pros.com slash best ever. That's my1031pros.com slash best ever to get $250 off today. Have you heard that Mint, the popular personal finance app, is shutting down? If you use Mint, that's bad news. The good news is that there's an even better alternative, Monarch Money. Monarch gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with others. And now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash best ever. Most personal finance apps are clunky and cluttered with ads. Monarch is different. Its intuitive design makes setup, customization, and everyday use simple and easy. Monarch is also the most customizable budgeting app available. You can change your dashboard layout, create custom budgets and notifications, and even invite your partner, accountant, or financial advisor to have a joint view of your finances at no extra cost. Once you try Monarch for yourself, you'll understand why it was named 2024's best budgeting app by the Wall Street Journal. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash best ever. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H money.com slash best ever for your extended 30-day free trial. So here's what I'm thinking in my head. Why don't you and I pretend to advise somebody young and new in real estate on how they can achieve this? So obviously the first one would be to educate yourself as much as possible. What's the next step? The next step is to develop a plan to go find your first property. If you're a hunter, if you have the skills to go talk to brokers and sellers, then you're the hunter. You go find the property. So what are your missing links? Is your missing link raising capital? Is your missing link underwriting? Is your missing link systems? Find a partner that could fill in those gaps. So does that mean somebody's taking on multiple partners initially and building out their team initially? I would say so. If you're missing gaps there, you want to have a partner involved. Because if, if you're a person starting out, how can you possibly do it all yourself? 
Okay, let's do it. So I'm going to be the hunter. I can call brokers. I can look at deals. Not very good at underwriting. I don't have a network to raise capital from. So I'm going to bring on two partners. One, very analytical, can tell me if these deals are good and bad and why. And the third person is the capital raiser, high net worth individual, great network. So when we find the deals, we can have him or her pitch that. So we find a deal and it pencils out. What are the next steps? Next steps is you guys get together on your action plan to manage a property, put the offer into the broker, probably get the best and final round, hopefully, and win the deal. At that point, you've got to divide up all the roles and possibilities. So because somebody's a capital raiser alone, they can't just raise capital. They have to have a material participation in the property as well, if it's syndication. So I would divide the roles and responsibilities. I would have a memorandum of understanding so everyone knows that their lanes to stay in those lanes. And that way you'll have too many cooks in the kitchen, so to speak. And from that point, just execute the business plan. And capital raising is easy for us to say, but somebody that's never raised capital before, let's advise him or her on how they go about raising capital. So that one I can attest to. So I say the one mistake not to make there the mistake would be not informing all of your close friends and family of what you're doing. I spent two years flying under the radar, not telling my whole network what I was doing. So when I started to raise capital about a year ago, I started from scratch. If you let your circle of influence know what you're doing, they can get warmed up this whole entire time. And it won't be a surprise when you have a deal that you want to go raise money on. So the way that I started raising capital was I really sent an email or a text to all my circle of influence saying, Here's what I'm doing now. We're going to do projects in real estate. I'm excited about it. There's no opportunity today, but if I ever had one, would you want to be on the list for me to let you know about it? So the key there was there's no ask at all. You're informing them what you're doing. And basically the people that opt in, you just put them on a list and correspond with them every so often when you have an opportunity. Yeah, that's so important. Letting the world know what you're doing. And you sent out a mass email. Let's call it a newsletter. This is what I'm doing. And best ever listeners, you can't get to a point where you're ready to raise for a deal. And all of a sudden, email blast everybody for the very first time saying, by the way, I'm raising money for this great real estate deal. They're going to be like, wait a minute, Sally, when did you become a real estate? Well, what is all this? Like, slow down. So, and the mistake that you made where not everyone knew what you were doing. I made that mistake for years. I quit my corporate career. My wife and I would go out to dinner with old friends and they would ask, gosh, how's the IT world? And I correct them initially. Yeah, you know, I'm in real estate now. I got so tired of correcting people. I just would say, yeah, man, everything's great. How are you doing? And I missed that opportunity to share with the world that I'm now a real estate investor. And with the newsletter, I did the same thing. I sent out a general newsletter. Hey world, this is what I'm working on. And then it was many, many newsletters later where I said, we have an opportunity for you to invest with us. So you've got to prime the pump and I'm glad you brought that up. Okay. So you go out there and you've sent out this newsletter. You raise the capital. You've now got the deal. It's underwritten. You raise the capital, you take it down, you show up to the closing table. What are the next steps? Yeah, I feel like the next steps is you've got to divide up, obviously, the ownership interests in the deal. And if you're raising capital, it'd be the general partnership interest divided up and make sure it's fair according to who's going to be doing the work and what percentage they'll get of the general partnership equity. From that point, you've got to have somebody who's going to be on those calls with the PM company 
management company. You've got to have somebody who's got oversight on the books of financials, and you have somebody who's going to work with the bookkeeper and the tax professional. Somebody maybe who has construction background to work with the CapEx plan, or maybe the PM company has that in-house. And then for your investors, you want to send out updates. We do once a month to our investors so they can see what's going on, see the property perform, budget to actual, note in there anything new that's happening. Maybe you've got some new projects you're doing or some new signage you're doing. Photos are great. The key here is constant communication. This is a big area that's lacking with a lot of other groups is they don't communicate very well or very often. So not only will it help your current investors get updates on the property and want to invest with you again on the next project, but you're also being front of mind and relevant more often. Best ever listeners, rewind what Chad just said from beginning to end. Very important. And Chad, one distinction we did not make was these are not established real estate professionals. These are probably people that have W-2 jobs. So what you said in dividing up the post-closing tasks, very important communicating because you don't sit back and celebrate once you've got the deal. That's when the work starts. Yep. Yeah. And that roadmap that you just laid out there is perfect. So that's it, right? This is not rocket science. And then little by little, people can either quit their jobs if they need to devote more time to this, or they can hire an administrative assistant, hire a bookkeeper, whatever it is, hire out anything that is not, in my opinion, something that is enjoyable and making you a lot of money. That is a great use of your time. I totally agree. One exercise I did with my coach a while back was we're done everything I was doing, all the tasks, all the duties I was doing, and we put them in four different categories. And really what it came down to was which of the four categories were things that I love to do and I was great at. Everything else, who can we outsource it to? So we used virtual assistants for some of it. I sent some to my operations person, gave some to my CFO. So yeah, you want to figure out what your highest and best use of your time is. And if things cost 20 bucks an hour to have someone else do, outsource that. You should be doing things that would earn 100 bucks an hour or more, for example. Yeah. And many people struggle with that. I've got a friend of mine who's seven figure exit on his business. He's a real estate syndicator and he still cuts his own lawn because he doesn't think he should be paying the neighborhood kid 20 bucks an hour to cut it. He doesn't enjoy it. He just feels like it's something that is part of his duty to cut the lawn. Bad, bad, bad. That's somebody that can't get out of their own way. Yeah. We have a finite amount of time. You can't buy more time. It's impossible. We all have the same amount of time every day. And you got to sleep eight hours or whatever it is. So all the rest of the time, you have family, you've got personal, you have relationships, you have work. So of your work pie and even personal time, you got to decide what you're going to spend your time on. And if you're trying to grow a real estate business or grow your own business, you've got to focus on the best task at hand. And I remember probably 15 years ago, somebody said, whatever I don't enjoy or I'll make money on, I outsource it. And I've always remembered that quote. Yeah. Maybe add to that. The things that you should be doing are things that you enjoy, the things that you're good at, and the things that have a high return for your effort. could be monetarily, could be different things, but yeah, anything that you don't like doing, it's more than likely you're procrastinating those tasks anyway. So anything you procrastinate, offload. Yep. Lesson learned there as well. Actually, I'm good at underwriting. I don't like it at all. I can read data on detail organized, but I'm not in the weeds. So I actually missed a property about a year ago because I procrastinated so long on underwriting it that somebody else got the deal. 
And I decided after that point, this never happened ever again. So I brought on an analyst to help me with the underwrites. Yeah, you solved a problem. So yeah, anything you procrastinate, it's something you absolutely don't like. You dread doing. You don't look forward when you wake up in the morning because it's on your list of things to do. Please outsource it. And I'm talking like I do that all the time. I've got a list of things that I'm still procrastinating about, but trying to get better. Like we all do. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. What's your final parting words for our best ever listeners in terms of people that are struggling with mindset? I think mindset is everything. I think what you see in here determines your thoughts, determines your beliefs, determines your actions and results. So I think watch what you're putting into your mind. So are you watching Netflix and other media? Or are you filling your mind with positive people and personal growth, maybe podcasts or books? Just always be growing. And if you have the mindset that you live in a world of abundance instead of scarcity, I think that will push you really far. I love that. I've got a friend of mine who him and his wife will watch every new series that comes out on Netflix and they can't get enough of that. They're looking for more. They binge watch that, but they are struggling because they want to get ahead and it doesn't work. You're not growing. And I get it. Everyone needs some downtime and time to relax, but try to incorporate some educational podcasts, videos. I mean, there's so much out there. It may not be fun in the beginning, but find something, again, that's fun, but that's also rewarding. Yep. I would say, Osh, one of the big turning points for me was when I started developing a morning routine for myself. And the whole thought behind this was I could ever find time during the day for personal growth and development because the day got away from me. I woke up and emails were flying in, had to go to work, and then you got family. And at bedtime, you're exhausted. So for the last probably year and a half, I woke up probably an hour before my family does. And that first hour of the day, I focus on personal growth, gratitude, growing, some physical stuff. But if you set aside time, the very first part of the day, put yourself first, because the best investment you make is in yourself, in my opinion. Yeah. Chad, do you wake up at the same time every day? Pretty much about 5, 530. When's your first meeting or phone call? Normally back home, it's around 10 or 11 a.m. Because I know that I'm most creative in the mornings. It's my focus time. Here in Hawaii, my first phone call is about 7 or 8 a.m. Listen, I got to thank you for your time. You're in Hawaii. And you didn't have to do this podcast, but you took the time to share some great advice with our best ever listeners. So thank you so much. Thank your family for giving us part of your time. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you. All right. Best ever listeners. Thank you so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a five-star review. Share this podcast with someone you think can benefit from it. Also follow, subscribe and have a best ever day. Hi, Best Ever listeners, Joe Fairless here again. And one last thing before you go, would you like to receive a short weekly email with proven tips from experienced investors, free tools and resources, and a roundup of the week's most relevant news and Best Ever content? Well, if so, join the community of nearly 15,000 commercial real estate passive and active investors who receive the Best Ever newsletter. Just go to bestevercre.com forward slash access and you'll get the very next one. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, thank you for listening and have a best ever day.